Hello and welcome back to the Cloister Bell podcast hosted by Rob and Liam. In this podcast we will be discussing my, for I'm Liam, my favourite Patrick Troughton story. Hi everyone and welcome back. Hope you're all well. I'm Liam and of course I'm joined by Rob. Hi Rob. Well hello, back again. <laughs> it's weird um, recording in the daylight. I think the sun's about to go down here. Yeah, yeah it is, but um, the weather's certainly improved. It's been absolutely fantastic and of course we're, we're going to be entering summer very uh, very soon. Yeah, I, I had a good view of the International Space Station last night flying over the house. Did I send yeah, you a yeah. picture? Yeah, yeah, you sent me a picture, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. It was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I was actually looking for the the SpaceX Dragon capsule, which was launched yesterday. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, is that it? But I looked at the time, and I think it was the space station that I'd spotted. Mm-hmm. It was still pretty good, pretty cool, because the sky is so clear. In fact, I've noticed that the sky is so clear, there's, n- there's rarely any airplane lines across the sky, which is bizarre. It's like something that's always there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but since obviously we're locked down at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no one's starting off around all over the place. So yeah, uh, skies are absolutely crystal clear. In general anyway, because there's uh, very few clouds around. So um, w- so obviously what, what, we're, what we're doing is we're going through um, each of the Doctors and discussing our favourite um, s- story from, from each Doctor. Um, and now that we're on the Patrick Chapman era, obviously we've discussed the William Hartnell uh, which your favourite story was the Aztecs and mine was the yes. Crusade well it's funny because uh, Doctor Who magazine issue 552 which at the time of recording has just come out um, has this thing because they did um, anyone who followed uh, Doctor Who magazine on Twitter people were able to to vote for what their favourite Hartnell story was and they, you know, they had a qualifying round and then a group stage and so on basically like if it was the World Cup and it just so happens that in Group B, both of our stories were featured. So Group B featured the Aztecs and the Crusade, as well as the Dalek's Master Plan and the Day of the Doctor. Um, in that group, your story won. Excellent. Yeah. Um, it, it is It is the better of the two. <laughs> How dare you? Um, the the runner-up was the Dalek's Master Plan, so the Crusade was, was promptly booted out. Um, no. So, so my favourite Hartnell story didn't stand a chance. Um, if you if you go back to, because I honestly think that Crusades is, is a wonderful story and it deserves uh, a lot more of attention. But uh, we didn't even have any listeners' responses on no. that. No, just wait till it's animated and everyone will be raving about it. Yeah, and, you, and, and, I, you, and you'll be you'll be raging about it. <laughs> no, I liked it before; it was cool. Anyway. Um, so you had all the sort of like the knockout stages. So the quarter finalists were the Daleks' master plan, the War Machines, the Romans, and the Aztecs. Um, so a lot of people, you know, really, really loved the Aztecs, and the Aztecs got into the quarter final. But the runner-up in second place for fa- uh, for what pe- people who, who think um, is the best Hartnell story, the runner-up was the Time Meddler. Oh yes. 
Which is a good story, but I'm surprised it, uh, it got that high. Uh, in first place, do you want to take a guess? Um, no. <laughs> I don't know. Okay then, nice, nice playing ball with you. Okay, uh, well in first place it was it was the Dalek invasion of Earth. Okay. Which, um, <laughs> which probably wasn't a surprise because you know it's it's a Dalek story and it is a damn good one. But um, yeah. what's with all the World Cup stuff? Obsessed with football much? <laughs> no, it's just it's just the way that they've structured it in terms, of, you know. So they they had a qualifying match of, of stories and then see who put them out and then they grouped the stories. <laughs> I, I think just to make it easier for, for for voting, it's sort of you know it makes sense if it works for yeah. the World Cup. Why can't it work for Doctor Who? Sure, <laughs> I did like a little piece I'd read in Doctor Who magazine a few years ago, yeah. and they'd pinpointed the um, the Priory in the Time Meddler must have been Time of Priory. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for listeners who don't know. Um, we're from the northeast of England. We're in Newcastle, so we're not that far. We're not that far from um, uh, Tynemouth. Well, you're actually, you're actually a lot closer uh, closer to Tynemouth than I am. Yeah, but yeah, race here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, t- yeah, Tynemouth Priory. It's, yeah. it's it's beautiful. Um, yeah. Maybe when we do Time Meddler, we could do uh, a road show and go there. Oh yes, I'd yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, our first road show months. was meant meant to be in March. We were going to do. Um, Mark of the Ronnie Roadshow. <laughs> oh yes, we will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which hopefully we will do at some point. Uh, we've yeah. got, got some ideas, but um, yeah. <laughs> but sounds so, like a bizarre thing to the listeners, but yeah, but it's you know it's something that amused us and we, we'd quite like to do. Um, but then, um, uh, what stopped us, Rob? <laughs> um, I, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was probably nothing important. But you no. know, anyway, hopefully we'll get round to it at some point. Um, so last week we discussed Rob's favourite Patrick Trapp story, The Tomb of the Cybermen, um, which is still ha- you know, still regarded as a classic. Uh, and this week we continue, of course, uh, with the same Doctor and the same villain, um, sort of, as we discuss my favourite Patrick Trapp story, which is The Invasion. Um, we don't have to discuss the results yet, uh, but we did put up a... Um, a poll basically comparing these two stories didn't we yes just earlier this evening and it's had quite a fair few responses to the poll so um it should be a, a fair result i think <laughs> yes um uh, yeah so we'll uh, discuss the results of of that later on um so a brief well a brief ish plot synopsis because this is an eight episode adventure so one wow. of the longer ones um so, so bear with me. The TARDIS materialises in England in the 1970s, and the time travellers meet a girl called Isabel, whose uncle, computer scientist Professor Watkins, has recently gone missing. The Doctor offers to help track him down, starting at the place where he last worked, the London HQ of International Electromatics, the world's major supplier of electronic equipment. His initial suspicions about IE's managing director, Tobias Vaughan, are confirmed after he becomes reacquainted with Lethbridge Stewart, now promoted to brigadier and in charge of the British branch of the United Nations Intelligence Task Force, UNIT, and learns that there have been other disappearances at IE premises. He discovers that Vaughan is in league with the Cybermen in the plan to invade Earth, but is also plotting against them with the aim of seizing power for himself. 
Watkins is being forced by Vaughn to develop a machine designed to generate emotional impulses as a weapon against the Cybermen. The Cybermen immobilise most of Earth's population, sending a hypnotic signal through special circuits incorporated in all IE equipment, and launch their invasion. The Doctor has managed to protect himself and his friends from the signal, and with help from an embittered Vaughn who is killed during the fighting, the invasion is eventually defeated. Yes, it was an eight-part story, but it didn't feel too heavy, I think is the word. Yeah, no, no, I, t- I totally agree with that. Because um, one of the the issues, if you if you like, uh, with the Patrick era is that it, it tends to have a lot of the lengthier adventures. Because most people tend to be of the opinion, and I can kind of see this, and I think for the most part I agree, that in terms of classic Doctor Who, four episode lengths was, was pretty much perfect. Anything beyond that, um, you know, you've really got to you know, argue, does it really warrant the length of that story? Have you simply expanded this for budgetary reasons? Which um, the producers of the Patrick Trout era have been honest about uh, in subsequent interviews um, that that was pretty much the case, that they extended episodes just, you know, so they didn't have to build as many sets and as costumes and, and so on. Um, so if you are going through the Patrick Trout era, it, you know, the, the stories can be a bit, um, you know, they can sort of drag you down a bit. Having said that, though, they are really good. Uh, the Invasion's one of the better ones, and the War Games, which is Patrick Troughton's last adventure, is still, you know, beloved by a, a lot of fans, and that's ten episodes. Imagine if I picked that one. One day soon. <laughs> one day soon, but it is, it is good. Uh, but yes, I agree with you. Uh, even though it's eight episodes, it doesn't... Um... You could watch it in one sitting, couldn't you? Easily. I think it's like so. A, yeah, it's a bit yeah. like a movie in, in quite a few ways. It is, you're right, it is in, in a lot of ways. Uh, but before we get to the uh, discussing the main review, just go through the, the cast and crew. Um, so, directed by Douglas Camfield, which I've realised something because um, The Crusade uh, was directed by Douglas Camfield, and a later favourite story of mine uh, for another Doctor is also directed by Douglas Camfield. So, a bit of a pattern emerging with my choices. But anyway, directed by Douglas Camfield, written by Derek Sherwin from a story by Kid Peddler. It was produced by Peter Bryant, and the music was by Don Harper. Uh, The Doctor was played by Patrick Troughton, Jamie, Fraser Hines, Zoe, Wendy Padbury. Incidentally, my DVD copy of The Invasion is signed by her. Uh, So is mine. Oh, fantastic. Great. Um, Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart is played by Nicholas Courtney, Benton, John Levine, Captain Turner, Robert Sidway, Gregory, Ian Fairburn. Isabel, Sally Faulkner, Major Bramwell, Clifford Earl, Major General Rutledge, Edward Denneth, Packer, Peter Halliday, Private Perkins, Stacey Davies, Professor Watkins, Edward Burnham, Sergeant Peters, Norman Hatley, Sergeant Walters, John Thorn, sorry, James Thornhill, Tobias Vaughan, Kevin Stoney, and Tracy Jeffrey Cheshire. Um, so yeah, there's uh, just a, you know. <laughs> There's a big, uh, there's a big cast. There's an awful lot of characters. The, the 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 invasion being eight episodes long has all those eight episodes jam packed. Um, now we're able to enjoy the vast majority of the adventures as they were televised, but unfortunately there are still two episodes missing. One of them is the first episode, uh, but we are able to enjoy it through it being animated. And in fact, the invasion DVD was the first um, 
the first doc, uh, Doctor Who story to, to feature animated um, episodes in replace of the missing ones. I do remember that when they announced the trailer on the the official Doctor Who website mm-hmm. back yeah. when that was a, a source for news. <laughs> and I do remember um, it had a comment section, and I believe I was the first person to put a comment there. Oh wow! Is it? Yeah. Did you check if it was still there? I did, and no, it's gone. <laughs> oh, the website's there, but the comment section's gone. <laughs> oh, for frick's sake! Uh, okay, well, that's a bit of a shame. Do you remember what your comment was? Something on the lines of like, oh, this has got me excited because the Cybermen are back for series two. So it was just something on the lines of that, yeah. No, but yeah, I remember the uh, the trailer as well because it, um, they they had animated the Cybermen. It was all rain. I mean, nothing like how it appears in the story. And in fact, what inspired this clip is actually in an episode that we can watch. But, you know, you had... It was all very moody and atmospheric and the animation was quite good. Well, it was actually really bloody good. Um, it was a Cyberman outside St. Paul's Cathedral and it was all it was all raining, wasn't it? Yes, raindrops and the drain cover. Do we call it a manhole cover? I know we're not meant to say that anymore. Oh, for God's sake, really? Anyway. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, the, well, the, the sewer cover, yeah, because that's what it is. Yeah, the, the sewer cover, and uh, it was a really good um, sort of teaser trailer, really, and it showed you what they were capable of doing, which was really exciting. And I think, um, returning to it now, it's it's still really rather good, isn't it? I mean, I know oh, that, yeah. I know that yeah. in, I think it was when we were discussing the crusade, we were talking about our animated uh, episodes, and we were sort of... I mean, I think this was mainly me. Um, but saying, you know, I'm not really keen on that f- flash style type of animation. Yeah. Um, but actually, um, I think I was probably being a bit too negative because looking at the invasion and what they did, I thought it was it was really, really rather good. That's funny because that's exactly my thoughts after <laughs> after watching this. I thought, you know, this is really good. <laughs> yeah, it is really good. Uh, I think I'd prefer watching it in black and white mm-hmm. opposed to color. And um, because of course color is um, is an option in some of the newer ones. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, which is it's nice. It's an option, and I suppose it, it makes sense. You know, you've got the ability to do that. But yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, try and keep it as close as to the original as possible. But also that the black and white lends it a certain mood and an atmosphere, which in a story like the invasion, it works really well. So what had happened in the previous adventure, which is the the mind robber. Um, the TARDIS was destroyed. There's this mad, crazy fantasy adventure, and then obviously everything's put back together, and the TARDIS uh, reassembles, and that's how the the story begins. Uh, and everything seems fine. The TARDIS is basically hovering on the dark side of the moon, and um, a missile is suddenly launched at the TARDIS, taking everyone by surprise. So they have to do an emergency landing on Earth, and very, very quickly, uh, they're pretty much thrown into the adventure. And we're made very quickly that there's this international uh, company called International Electromatics, or IE for short. And the world set up in this episode is a, is a very interesting one. You know, it's quickly established that this this company is huge. They're all around the world. They've certainly got massive influence. Uh, you know, they have their own armed security who act like a private army. Uh, they are able to act of their own volition uh we actually see them kill someone and yet you know the, throughout the the rest of the stories there's no sense that they you know they would be they would ever be prosecuted for that 
it's it's pretty much that this company IE is so is so successful, so big, uh, it cannot be touched, which allows a sort of uh, an interesting um, world setup in the story. It could be argued maybe it's a bit satirical. I think now, you know, watching it in the early 21st century, you could actually argue that this element of the story, if anything, has become more more pertinent, if you like. What do you think? What are your thoughts? I don't know. I feel like it was written out of a sense of, I don't know, maybe paranoia about um, this kind of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're when you're watching it, there's this, you know, you've. When I was watching it on this occasion, um, you know, I was sort of there were moments which reminded me of the Third Man, the movie, the Ipcris file, um, and yeah, the, and coming in the late. 1960s yeah there is this this sense of paranoia which i think the the story does very well and you know you would think that as the story is is eight episodes long as we've mentioned before that the story would perhaps take a bit more of a leisurely approach it has much more time to fill but actually it, it doesn't uh everything moves at a really really quick pace um so really the first episode establishes everything that we need to know you know uh, we've got this company ie it's run by this chap called tobias vaughan uh the company ie is a bit shifty Uh, it's being investigated by by unit um who in the second episode pick up the doctor and we're introduced to brigadier lethbridge stewart lethbridge stewart as a character had been introduced uh in the web of fear uh, but here, he, but he was a colonel in that story. Now he is the brigadier, and uh, now he's heading the British um, side of unit. So this is the first unit story. It acts as a bit of a bridge because it's it's almost a spiritual successor to Web of Fear, but it's also a bit of a backdoor pilot for the John Pertwee era, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, the idea was because eventually uh, Derek Sherwin, who who wrote the story, would go on to produce. Uh, the idea is he was going to produce the John Pertwee era, but or or what ended up happening was he ended up uh, produce, producing the very first story, Spearhead from Space, and then was um, but then was quickly shuffled on to to produce uh, another television program. But the impact he had uh, and what he wanted to do for the show uh, was huge. He you know he essentially shaped the entire Pertwee era, and yeah, he he wanted the series to be a bit more grounded. In, in reality and have people relate to things so he you know this as you said was a sort of uh, pilot for what would eventually emerge in the John Pertwee era and obviously now watching it in or re-watching it in 2020 and knowing what the Pertwee era is obviously you can see that but at the same time it um, it's the invasion still very much the story of the Patrick Troughton era you don't look at it now and go oh you could easily transplant John Pertwee into the story, and it would be, you know, it's no, n- it, no it's 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 still very much a, a part of the Trout era. But yeah, it's got all the tropes that one would, ex- you know, would later emerge in the Pertwee era. But it's still very much of the Trout era, yeah. um, which is a great thing. I, I, I almost wish that the Trout era, sorry, the Pertwee era, era unit stuff was as good as this. Yes, I know what you mean. Because uh, even though, uh, you know, I love the Pertwee era and I love the, the unit setup. And a lot of the stories, the invasion in many ways is sort of, yeah, uh, I agree with that. Um, even even the warfare, like we we've had glimpses of that in maybe three Doctors, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of liked it in black and white. I liked the whole tone of it. Yes, uh, it is very much, yeah, 
the black and white oh, just the music. Oh, the music. D- yeah, by by Don Harper. In fact, um, it's like some kind of spy thriller. <laughs> it is, and it, you know, and it, it's got this main theme which um, plays whenever um, you know unit appear, and it it is quite catchy, and it sort of sticks in your head, but in, but in a good way, you know, it's uh, it's kind of this upbeat, jangly piece of music, um, but it works it, it works really well. So this is an eight part story, but. Um... Incidentally, a lot of stuff in this story happens off screen, doesn't it? For example, they're going to go and rescue Professor Watkins is it, at some stage. It's all done off screen, or a character's going from A to B, and they're there in the next scene. Oh, and what, what happened to Jamie? He was out of an episode, wasn't he? He was shot. Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's a behind-the-scenes reason for that. Uh, he, I think it was Fraser Hines uh, was due a holiday, so I think I think he had a week off. He was just shot through the letterbox. And he was like, oh, oh, and then he just hops off screen, and you just you just don't see him again, literally oh, no. till the last scene. <laughs> shot through the letterbox. I've never heard it called that before. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, but it's. The, I know what you mean, that but I, I don't feel cheated with those moments because, in fact, yeah. uh, because you're right that there are there are significant things which which occur off screen, but there's also plenty. but there's a lot of substance there, yeah. There there's is a lot, lot of substance, but yeah. we also have uh, an awful lot which is which is chucked to the uh, the screen as as well. There is plenty of of action, yeah. um, and there's there's just some really nice. Uh, moments of, of character. I mean, one, I think one of my favourite moments is in the second episode, where because uh, Zoe and Isabel have sort of paired up, and they're they're really quite nice. You know, you've got two two women who are clearly you know they become friends very quickly, and the, the camaraderie between them. One of my favourite moments is that um, they're they're looking for uh, the Doctor and Jamie, so they they've gone to the uh, the IE offices in London, and that. You know, there's an electronic receptionist. In fact, because that's another thing as well. There was all this, you know, this other thing. Um, it sort of has this commentary on automation, and you have mm. this idea, you know, automated electronic services, which of course is the bane of modern day life now. You know, you just want to talk to a human person, but you, you know, the amount of options that you and it's there in this story. It's in the invasion, and it's it's there in 1968, and it's ridiculed. And there's this great moment when you've got Zoe and Isabel. So the the gun out of the offices. There's this electronic reception machine, and Zoe, using her intelligence and the using of argon, which is a computer lab, which basically blows the damn thing up. <laughs> um, and I just think it's a really lovely, really lovely scene. And what's what I also like about it is because we've got the the main villain of the story, Tobias Vaughn who's played brilliantly by Kevin Stoney, uh, who's clearly up to no good because he's very polite uh, and very nice and very accommodating. He's got the look of a villain. He's got the look of... Yeah, he has. In fact, as uh, most people are probably aware, he played Mavic Shen in the Hartnell story, The Dalek, uh, the Dog's Master Plan. Yes. Uh, uh, and again, played that part really well, just reveling in it, the villainy of... Um, you know being friends with the Daleks and what you know trying to control the entire universe in many ways you know he um he plays a sort of similar character in this story um but he plays the part he does play the part differently and the fact that you know he he's seeing Zoe blow the machine up he he's absolutely tickled pink by it and he laughs his head off so the man, the man has a sense of humor I really really I think this is one of the strength because I really like the story the characters in it 
But of course, one of the, the great things that that we really like with, with with stories is that when you've got a really good villain, and this has got a fantastic yeah. villain. I think Tavisville may actually be one of my favourites. He's just brilliant. Not just in terms, it's it's how he's written. He's written very very well, and he's very believable. And with each um, step of the way as the story progresses, we find out, you know, sort of what makes him tick and where he's coming from. And it just yes, he's, he's he's not just bad for the sake of it, and he's not mm. on anyone's particular side. He's he, his um, his vendetta. It's very self-serving, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like. I mean, it's a completely different story in general, anyway. But you could actually argue, you know, that the strength of the writing in the Trouton era at this point has strengthened because one of his earlier stories, *The Underwater Menace*, we've got this mad scientist who wants to destroy the world for the scientific achievement. And you're going, what? Oh, you're just you're just like a diabolical mad scientist. But this, yeah, he's grounded. So I love how the character's written. But Kevin Stoney is the the perfect actor to play the part. I couldn't imagine anyone else playing it and being this good, and I think it's helped as well that he's he's got this uh, he he's got his henchman Packer, uh, played by Peter. <laughs> it Hall- gets really comical <laughs> by episode three or four. <laughs> it gets comical very quickly. It's fantastic. So uh, Peter Halliday, who who's appeared in the series every you know cropped up in the classic era of Doctor Who once in a while. You know, it was sort of a shame uh, because he, Peter Halliday is a bloody good actor but every time he sort of appeared in Doctor Who his his roles got sort of much smaller and diminished you do you remember the um the priest in Remembrance of the Daleks that's Peter Halliday right okay that's the guy who plays Packer I just thought I'd point that out but anyway yeah he, Peter Halliday plays Packer and you know he's obviously this very uh sadistic uh, henchman, you know, he just wants to he just wants to do horrible things he just wants to torture people and and beat the living crap out of them, that's all he wants to do, simple life goals um, just but, not that easy though is it <laughs> well not when you got the Doctor and Jamie sort of involved in the situation, and yeah. as the story progresses he just gets more and more um well he's pretty stupid I suppose, yes. but he, he just gets less successful I and love his little, his little watch radio <laughs> he speaks into it and he puts it to his ear and it's like a cassette fast forward and like <laughs> that is comic it does yeah it just goes just like yes what did you say that is quite comic um it is it is i don't think that was supposed to be but it is but i just you know i don't, I don't mind it um but but what i really really like it's it's these moments as, as the story progresses tobias gets more and more frustrated with packer and in fact, it's actually Packer which makes Tobias lose his cool. Because there's very few, you know, th- the moments when Tobias, like, shouts his head off. Yeah. Um, and because, you know, he's usually this cool, cool calm, collected person, you know, he, you know it, it has more of an impact. And he just, you know, pull It got Packer. to the point where I was thinking, how many, how many last chances are you going to give this guy? <laughs> Just get him. <laughs> yeah, or just hire someone else for freak's sake. Yeah. <laughs> just, but um, it does provide the story with a comic element, which I suppose is needed because everything else, is, you know, is either the action is yeah. really superb or it's atmospheric and creepy in places. If he didn't have someone to confide in with his plans, um, how would we know what's going on with the narrative? So yes, exactly. It works that he's got someone to talk to. <laughs> it does, and it works. It works superbly. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change anything with regards to that. 
it's just um, absolutely superb. Um, and in fact, the way that we're introduced to Tobias is uh, you know, the, the Doctor and Jamie have infiltrated IE offices. Um, they're quickly discovered. They have this conversation. And um, it's actually afterwards, and it's just a, a really great moment. It's just, it's just a, a conversation between the Doctor and Jamie, because obviously it's quite apparent that this is going to be the villain of the story. Um, but we re you know, we're, we're made to realise very early on that actually there's much more to him than we realise, and it's just a, it's a brilliant line of dialogue, and Patrick Trouton delivers it superbly when he's talking about how div you know, the normal blinking rate of a human, mm. and how Tobias very rarely blinks, and just you know, um, it's like oh okay, that's a bit, uh, that's a bit chilling, and that's a really good introduction. Uh, well, we'd already been introduced, but that's you know. Furthering the villainy, and that there's something not quite right going on. And in the first episode, we realise that you know he's working in league with someone, because there's this brilliant alien-looking device in a hidden part of his office, and it has this great voice. Incidentally, Peter Halliday also provides the voice of um, ah. this communicator, and it, you know it's uh, it's wonderful. You just go, what earth is going on? So. Um, so obviously more investigation is is needed. Um, we realise that this company is up to no good. They're producing electronic equipment all around the world, everything from 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 radar to big computers to transistor radios, disposable which, radios. Yeah, as which you put it, you to chuck it away. <laughs> yeah, which was which was really rather curious. Uh, I did pick up on that. Thought, all right, okay, interesting. Um, but what's established is that you know they're very well made, but there's this bit of circuitry which doesn't seem to have any relation to the to how the radio works. So it's like oh, it's got this bit of interesting circuitry. What's that about? So, and then obviously we know that you know um, Professor Watkins was was kidnapped and he's been forced to make something against his will. Zoe and Isabel have been kidnapped, so they have to be rescued. Um, and in fact, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, sh I mean, it's a shame in general that we, we can't have all the episodes available. I mean, we're very fortunate that we're able to watch, uh, it's only two episodes of the eight, which are missing, but it would have been quite nice to see how, because arguably one of the most action packed scenes is in the, um, is in episode four, which is the, the second, uh, missing episode. And that's when Jamie and Zoe have infiltrated uh, the IE factory, and they have to rescue um, Zoe and Isabel. And there's this massive escape attempt, and there's a helicopter, and they all have to get up to the roof, breaking through the yeah. window, go, you know, and they're There couldn't have been a worse episode for them to have to animate, really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they I mean, pulled it off. they pulled it off really, really well because there was an awful lot of. And they used, a, um, you know, a little bit of rot rotoscoping. Um, as well as the the flash animation, and I noticed that there's a bit where we see Patrick Troughton running across the roof. And if you know the story already, you went, "Oh, you've borrowed that bit of the way he moves as he does in the, the final episode." Right. Uh, um, you know, just a lot of touches just to pull the whole thing together. But yeah, they did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, but of course, you know, nothing compares to how it would be 
to see the actual thing. It'd be really interesting to see how it came off, especially because this is directed arguably by one of the, the best directors of classic Doctor Who, Douglas Canfield, who was very, who was very capable of of yeah. directing these things and directing them really rather well. No wobbly sets in this one. <laughs> no, no, and if, but I mean, uh, this is another thing as well. We actually have the duplica- a duplication of a big set written into the script. I know, um, I love that. I know, I love it. Wait a minute, <laughs> haven't we been here before? Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so when we're introduced to Device Vaughan in in his London office, it's a great set. And then later on, they go to an IE factory which is outside of London. They go to the office. And lo and behold, it's the same set, uh, but it's commented on, and it's all about um, it's all about stream streamlining and all the rest of it. And of course, you go right. That's just written into the script to save on the cost <laughs> of building another set, right? We know that, but you know what? It still works. It's it's not that cheap of a trick actually, because no, it makes sense in relation to the story. It makes a comment on IE. Uh, the, the company and how they operate. It, it makes a commentary on Tobias Vaughan himself. And later on when it's explained, you know, why he wants to control the world in the first place, it's basically because he, he, he feels that the world is chaotic and it needs to be streamlined and everything needs to be the same in thought and aesthetics and looks. And of course, you've also got the similarity of the Cybermen who he's partnered up with. So yes, it was a cost-saving measure. We know that. But actually, it... Uh, it does fit well with his character. Like yeah, he wants, if he wants to make the world his image, um, yes. you can see that he's making his, his offices in the same way. And yeah, of yeah, exactly. he's got... Financially, he's got the means to do it. Yeah. So, why not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, it's one of those things where it's, going, oh, it's just a cost... You know, but it's a great line, actually, in the way that it was written, because, as I said, it, it, you know, it makes sense in relation to the story. So it doesn't feel that much of a cheat. You know, so that's what I really like. Um... Now, even though, of course, we're watching this story knowing it's a Cyberman story, uh, because one, we're watching it in 2020, the story dates from the late 60s, you know... Was it publicised that it was a Cyberman story initially, I wonder? I don't think it was. If it was, was, it's sort of a bit of a shame because it would have been a massive spoiler. But uh, but the point I was going to make was, even though we know it's a Cyberman story, and the fact that the Cybermen don't appear until the latter half of the story it doesn't feel disappointing you know i don't feel like you know it's um i mean i think it would have been if you're original viewer in the 60s and you're kind of going who's the villain behind all this maybe it's the daleks they clearly seem to know the doctor the doctor was known to them they know that he's a threat uh you could be juggling maybe it's you know maybe it's the daleks maybe it is the cyber maybe it's something else you know you don't know there's that constant that thing but even when you're watching it now, knowing that it is going to be revealed to be the Cybermen, actually, you know, it, it, it's a story that still works because it's still dramatically very interesting, told very well. Um, yeah, and you could make the observation at this point that the Cybermen are being sidelined for another villain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that is a weakness on their part. I think um, they are utilised well yeah. when you bring some humanity into it. Yes, and actually, because Sometimes. you know, and what you're doing in the story is you're seeing the how how the invasion plan works. You're seeing it from, I mean, we're not seeing it from exactly the fruition of it because it's it transpires in the story that Tobias has been planning this for five years, but you know, we're pr- pretty much seeing the the invasion from the earliest interesting point, 
yeah. onwards to when the invasion actually takes place. And one of the things that I like about... I mean, the Cybermen are sort of an interesting villain for me because I like them conceptually. Like, I like the idea behind them. But compared to, say, the Daleks, I think uh, there's there's much fewer good Cybermen stories. I mean, um, you're willing to disagree because I know there's there's a lot of people who, for them, the Cybermen are the best villain and they love, you know, Cybermen stories regardless. But I think... Uh, for me, there's, there's um, the Cybermen work much better when they are mysterious and they're skulking in the shadows and they're being strategic. The Patrick Troughton era did that the best, and arguably here, but also uh, in another Cyberman story, which is um, regarded as a classic, is Earthshock. Mm. You know the Peter Davison story, and there they, you know, they're very much you know skulking in the shadows and being strategic and so on. And here they are. Um, it's very different um, in relation to this, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because, of course, in Earthshock, it's the actual Cybermen who we see doing the scheming and controlling their own actions. But in this case, um, yes, we don't see it. It's more mysterious here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a focus on, on, on Tobias. But as you, as you said before, you know, bringing that human element into you know, a story dealing with the Cybermen... Um, arguably makes them much more effective. Yes. Just like uh, in the previous story we reviewed, um, Tomb of the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah. We had, um, I'm forgetting the characters' names already, Crafton and um, Eric Klieg. <laughs> A, Eric? Yes. A- <laughs> <laughs> Love that line. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, uh, the Tomb of the Cybermen did that, and the invasion does that in a much more streamlined way, if you like, but uh, I think you know it works really well because we've got a, a villain which is just, you know... Um, superb but we you know we start to get hints of maybe it is the cyberman uh in terms of how the stories unfold you know the doctor seems to be having um an idea that they're behind it so in uh cliffhanger to episode three um the doctor and jamie are hiding from the guards and they hide inside a crate and jamie's inside and he finds you know to his horror there's something inside the crate with him which starts to move um I think maybe, you know, if you were watching the story for the first time and didn't know it was the Simon, maybe that was the you know the first. Maybe it is, sort of the Simon. But that was that was a good creepy um, cliffhanger. I thought it's the next cliffhanger, the cliffhanger to episode four, which is fantastic because the Doctor and Jamie are you know hiding from technicians and they attach cables to this cocoon and you've you know you know and and then the cocoon splits open and then a Cyberman emerges and that's you've got this. You know, you you've got this brilliant use of uh, sound effect, and even the vocals from the Cybermen. Well, he's gone absolutely crazy. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Because um, not long into the uh, the following episode, so finally we also get to see this machine that Professor Watkins was 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 making, and um, I suppose you know you, you feel like um, you know you're watching the story for the first time. You're going, "What on earth is going on?" Tobias Vaughn's in league with the Cybermen in order to um, to take over the Earth, but he's also making sure that there's a weapon that can be used against them. You know, what's he playing at? What's going on? And of course, you know, it's quickly, you know, it's eventually established. It's because he's double-crossing them. He's only using the Cybermen as a means to an end, which is to take over the Earth. Once they're done, he can ditch them. So he needs a weapon in order to ditch them. So this episode, uh, so this machine, is used to uh, inject. Uh, emotions into the Cybermen and make him go, you know, 
really destroy them. But the first test, you're right, um, the Cybermen just goes absolutely crazy. And you know how we were saying in the Tube of the Cybermen that when they were fighting or when they were being attacked, there was this constant sort of like buzz sound. It didn't quite, well, you could see where, what they were aiming for. Well, they f I would say that they finally get it in this story. You know, that sound that they make of just the, cy the Cybermen scream. Um, you know, it's just, just awful. You know, there's the horrible sound, but it but it works, and it, I think it works. Yeah. In fact, actually, I've got a question. What do you think of the uh, the design of the Cybermen in this story? It's never been my favorite. I think of this type of design, I, somehow I prefer the invasion heads. Sorry, I'm getting confused with the names. I'm talking about the Revenge of the Cybermen. It's a bizarre one. As a kid, I loved the Earthshock Cybermen. Um, to me, they were the main Cybermen at the time. In, in retrospect, I'm not that fond of that design. No, that's fine. So basically, yeah. So your favourite design of the Cybermen is it's, uh, is the one that we see in the Tom Baker story, Re Revenge of the Cybermen. Um, yes, of, of the two, I kind of prefer that slight different aesthetic. But um, the suits, I'm not too sure about this because they've got like a zip. It's like they're wearing a big leather jacket or a, <laughs> or a bodysuit. And they've actually got like a zipper there. I see what you mean. It's because um, yeah, because like you, I think for, for for many many years, you know, my favorite version was the one that we see in the eighties. Um, I still think that's a great design, but um, looking at it now, uh, I actually think my favorite version is um, the one that we see in the story, the invasion. I love the heads. Yeah, uh, it's great. I know what you mean. It's sort of it can be a bit distracting because you're aware that there's there's a, a zip up as if they're wearing a jacket, but. Um, or does that add to the horror element? You know, they've got a zipper there and it's just like bits of human underneath. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could say that. I mean, I, I just think it, I just think this looks great. I know what you mean about the revenge because in, in some respects it's sort of the invasion look but made street, you know, sort of like made slightly different. The thing that I'm not too keen, keen on with the revenge is the, um, the way... The, this, this bendy bit in the arm and the legs. Right, okay. Uh, which I don't think quite works. Mm. I mean, I don't think it's a disaster. I still think it's a good design. But there's something about um, the look of the Cybermen in this story, which I think is probably my favourite. Because I just think the whole, you know, the, the head, the chest unit, um, the piping on the side is, you know, is. It's it a lot looks... better than Tomb. I think, yeah. Because yeah, they just had a kind of a mashup of different things on their bodies. Mm -hmm. um, even like the the ball joints just that they cat toys don't they <laughs> yeah and that's what they are whereas it was like finally i feel like right you've got because actually i quite like the design of the cyberman in the 10th planet um because you know you see you know you see the the, the hands and that cloth face and it's you know, you're sort of aware of the human underneath and of course being cyber and not emotional they they wouldn't have any sense of aesthetic yeah, they, so do, actually they that, have kind of lost the whole emphasis that there's something biological underneath that. Um, yes, we did, yeah, we did yeah. get it with the with the Earthshock ones where you could see the mouth mm -hmm. a little bit, but apart from that, um, yeah, you know, we don't see any flesh or anything like that. No, 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 we don't. But um, so I love the I love the design of the tenth the Mondasian Cybermen, and the fact that, th that they were able to bring that back into the modern era with with. Um, Peter Capaldi was the Doctor. Yes, it was tweaked slightly, but the fact they were able to essentially bring that back, I think, was really impressive, and they made that work. Yeah, still um, holds up. Still holds up. You know, and it, my God, was that story creepy? Um, oh, so um, Planet Fourteen. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's sort of interesting. Um, 
I think it's been explored in books, comics, whatever, since. But um, what do you think was the intention at the time? Did they mean to say Planet 10? <laughs> or is it the 14th planet in the solar system? I don't get it. No, um, I think it's... Uh, I mean, an off-screen adventure, I guess. Just, yeah, you could argue it's an on-screen adventure. Because there was a... I was wondering, is that supposed to be a mention of Telos? But then, of course, the, uh, you know, it's in and the future, maybe that's yeah. A, yeah, but that's the thing that's sort of like in very much in the future. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a case of that we know that the Petra Trouton Doctor, the Cybermen are aware of him. Yeah, they know who he is. And um, yeah, maybe there's, there was this um, this untelevised adventure. Uh, what's interesting, of course, in this story is this: it, it, it's not brought up too much, but it, the Doctor and the companions know who the Cybermen are. Because you know Jamie is in, this is his third encounter with them. Yes, uh, and this is Zoe's second because she was introduced in the Wheel in Space, which was a Cyberman story. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just going back to the design. So I love the design in in this, and uh, it, I just think the look of it's great and it remains iconic. But a big part of that is is how they're shot and how they're used, and I think a big, um, I mean, one of the most iconic moments in Doctor Who is in this story um, which is when the Cybermen emerge from the sewers and march through the streets of London uh, and you've you've got that brilliant image of St. Paul's Cathedral in the background and the Cybermen just you know sort of like walk, walking down these steps towards the camera. And for anyone that hasn't seen this, isn't familiar with it it was repeated um, in Dark Water the aesthetic of the Sabermen there didn't replicate this at all, did it? No, no, it didn't. And I mean, I can you can kind of go what you know, you knew what they were trying to aim for. You know, if you didn't know the iconic imagery, you know, and you were just watching that story as a general viewer, uh, I suppose it works. But as a comparison, I don't think it's as strong. And then the roof it, opens on St Paul's, which kind of kills the movie. <laughs> it's a bit ridiculous. Um, <laughs> But I mean, don't get me wrong, because I, I, I do really like that story. But yeah, as um, that you, you knew what they were trying to aim for. But the problem is, it wasn't it wasn't as atmospheric. And um, whereas here it was, it was atmospheric. It was creepy. It was brilliant. So you know, we have you know, London's quiet. You know, you hear birds tweeting. People are going around their norm. You know, some people are going around their normal business, and then you just hear this sort of I don't know how you would describe it, but this um, pulsating hypnotic sound, again provided by the BBC Radiophonic Workshop, um, which is brilliant, and people just succumbing to it. Some great reactions. So, the ma- um, the workman with the you know the old workman with the glasses. Yes, I think I'm sorry. I think that is a bit comic. Is he kind of looking upwards, kind of screaming or in pain? I, I don't know. Whereas, and then there's the lady with a hair curl. Is it? You see, I, I like the lady with the hair curl. Oh, and the guy that nearly loses his glasses against the wall. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Of course, you've got to have, you know, this is 1968, you've got to have the obligatory, you know, man in a bowler hat. <laughs> um, you know, it's... And actually, I, I suppose if you were being a bit disingenuous, I thought, you know, it's like maybe we could have had some more shots rather than... Because it's only four people, isn't it? Yes, and what's it meant to be? The population of the planet. Yes, it's meant to be the population of the planet. And obviously, you know... 
with all of them, I mean, I don't want to see the reaction shots of us, you know, every person on the planet is a bit ridiculous. But I think if you had just one or two more people as a comparison, or, you know, some people, you know, more people collapsing, I think it would have sold the, the moment a bit more. But it still works. Yeah. Um, but of course, it's it's that moment when you just see the Cybermen just come crashing out of the sewers. You've got that brilliant sound of, uh, of the sewer cover. And they're just coming out, and then they're just mar- you know, marching. Uh, the endless march down the road. That was, that was a good shot. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic, and it still sent it still sent chills. And of course, uh, that was I... a cliffhanger, wasn't it, when they're marching down the street? Mm-hmm. Runs to the end credits. Yeah, yeah, and I still think that's one of the best cliffhangers the show's ever done. I still think it's. Yeah. Uh... I mean, what was your reaction when you were watching it? Oh, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, I wonder how many um, how many guys in suits they had. Um, were they quickly running off screen and running back to the start line? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe because I think I, I don't know where I've got this. I think they maybe had six costumes right. in all. Okay. Um, but you know, I'm not aware. You know, when I was watching it, I, I wasn't aware of going. Oh, they're skimping on corners yeah. there. You know, it was just you know, you, you just got the sense of you know, there's yeah. just Cybermen coming from everywhere. I just thought it looked great, and it was a cliffhanger that that worked really well. It's not just the Cybermen in the daylight on the streets that's um, that's terrifying. The Cybermen in the sewers. Mm-hmm. That was a good. Um, that was a good atmosphere. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was. Because uh, that that looked great because not only do you have you know the Cybermen marching through the sewers and then you've got uh zoe isabel and jamie you know looking down there trying trying to find them in order to uh take photographs in order to establish proof that they exist in the first place you know but you've got unit soldiers down there you've got a poor policeman um who gets brutally killed by the Cybermen. i thought that was very effective just screaming in absolute agony um you know that, that you know that really establishes how you know um how how deadly the Cybermen are, but not only have you got that, you've got you've got this crazed Cyberman that we mentioned before, screaming his head off, going around all over the place. Yeah, he kind of saves the day, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, he does. But I mean, you, cause you you know you got Cyberman, you got this one that's gone absolutely off his rocker. You don't know how he's going to behave, so it just you know, heightens the the atmosphere a lot. Mm. And in fact, because also there's um there's a I've forgotten the character's name but there's a, there's a scientist who works for Tobias and oh yes um, uh, Tobias still needs the professor who by this time is with is with unit yes so they try and um, they try and kidnap him again and this is when as you said before Jamie gets shot through the letterbox <laughs> uh, and, uh, and of course um, they fail the the professor is still with is still with unit so we have this um Oh, I'm trying to trying to remember the name. I think it's Gregory, uh, played by Ian Fairbairn. Uh, it's it, yeah, Gregory. He's uh, so he's back with Tobias, and he's all sort of like disheveled and shock because he got they all got um, uh, attacked. Yes, uh, and um, Tobias isn't happy, so sticks him down the sewer and, uh, and then gets the Cyberman to to, uh, to bump him off as well. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I thought that was quite a uh, maybe a needlessly protracted um, death, but certainly torturous and uh, horrible. Yeah, but again, another uh, another uh, dramatic moment in the story that's um, that's directed, performed, and, and shot very well. Yeah, what's your view on the um, the way the Cybermen kill with again a negative film effect? Would you, would you rather um, the one? Um... 
thrashing people around, ripping them in half, or <laughs> do you, or do you think do you think it's a it's a good good effect or overused at this point? No, no, I still think it's 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 a good effect. I mean, obviously, it's it's at this point in the show's history, it's exactly the same one that they use for the Daleks. Yeah, you know when it, you know the the screen goes into negative. You know, and um, you know, analyzing it, you're going, well, that's the limitations of the time. That's the only thing that they could do. But when I was watching it, uh, you know, you just caught up in it. I wasn't, I didn't think it was cheap or ineffective, or you, know, you just copying what you do with the Daleks, because it's it's not only the um, the use of the special effect in the shot itself, but it's also the performance of the actor, the context that the death takes place in in the story, and also the sound effects. I mean, the sound effects are different as well. Yeah. Um, I think it was replicated so, in 2005 Dalek, wasn't it? When they did they didn't the whole the whole kind of light of the room change when people were were blasted by the Daleks? Oh, oh you might yeah. be right. It's been a while since I've and watched that. And that, that also uh, did borrow yeah. from Remembrance of the Daleks, didn't it? Because we got to see the the um, the skeleton as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but no, I, I didn't think. Uh, uh, you think it worked, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I think it worked. I mean, did you? Yeah, yeah. Just I was wondering if you thought it was getting overused at any stage. Yeah. I mean, I think we see it used three or four times. I mean, it's uh, you know you got the you got the policeman who gets killed. We've got Gregory who gets killed. You uh, that way. We've also got uh, Packer who's killed that way as well. Um, there yes. might be one or two others who I've forgotten. Um, but no, I didn't think it was overused or, or whatever. I thought it was no, I still thought it was effective uh, within the story. And then, so so you know, it's like right, okay, the, the Simon look like they're you know they've succeeded. Um, and at this point, you know, we've only got two. I think at this point, we've only got two episodes for the Doctor to save the day, really. Um, so unit breaks off into two groups. We have one group who heads off to Russia. Because there's a there's a rocket there that was um, almost prepared to to launch uh, for for space exploration, but they're able they'd be able to fix a warhead onto the rocket, and they'd be able to do that in two hours. Uh, sorry, ten hours. In two hours. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, in ten hours, so they go off and do that, and then uh, we have another group who's able to. Um, Take over uh, another army base, which uh, which is well provided with with missiles. And uh, this Zoe really comes into her own at this point, doesn't she? Yes, she does. Um, is this in the? Is this when she's calculating at the end? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, so what it is is that they've only got well, even though it's, it's not well provided with rockets, it's not an infinite amount. They've only got uh, they've only got a handful that they can use, uh, and they're coming into the attack, and. So he says, look, give me all what I need is 30 seconds and I'll be able to calculate exactly where it is you need to hit 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 one rocket and then that can start a chain reaction and then we can get as many rockets as possible. It's a great scene because uh, I mean, one of the I mean, one thing that we haven't really commented upon is actually the, the brigadier in this story. Yes, because um, you know, although Lethbridge Stewart had been introduced in the, in the Web of Fear, the way he was introduced in that story is the sort of this question of is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Where's this character come from? Where is he? A, you know, uh, he's one of the Doctor's allies. He has absolute you know, confidence good. in the Doctor and his friends, doesn't he? Which is yeah, and like. yeah, and it's it's really. I mean, I haven't I haven't watched uh, a Doctor Who story in a while with Nicholas Courtney in it, 
and you just so one it was it was great to finding uh, see him perform again but my god it was a delight and it's it's one of those things so pleased so pleased because um, he wasn't the original uh, going back to the Web of Fear he wasn't going to be the original um, actor there was another chap who was chosen but anyway for one reason uh, eventually Nicholas Courtney got the part and thank god he's so, he's brilliant and again it's it's one of those moments where um, you go, I can't imagine anyone else playing this part he's just he relishes in it he's got the, the yeah, fake moustache and, he... and he's loving it <laughs> Yeah, but you know he's you know you can believe this man is as as a soldier. You know he's uh, he's he's rock solid and confident and intelligent. Has a bit of humour. I love his confidence when he goes to see the um, is it the Ministry of Defence that Vaughan yes, yeah, and yeah. the Brigadier go to. And I just I love the the confidence and the scrutiny that he puts towards the um, the guy there at the desk. Yeah, yeah, I think that's Major General Rutledge. Yes. Um, yeah, and it was again. Uh, the Rutledge had been. Um, in fact, I, I think it's explained that he was the one who got unit to investigate IE in the first place, and then he went to IE offices and then came out really rather, you know, sort of behaving really rather odd. And of course, it's established that Rutledge is um, is uh, has had some, you know, has has been altered, um, and so it can be used by Tobias to, you know, to push unit back and um, not be investigated by them. Uh, and you have this um, this thing where the control's starting to weaken and Rutledge is sort of like doubting himself. He doesn't know what he need, you know, doesn't know what he needs to do and he's finding it difficult to communicate. Uh, and Tobias needs to know from him what unit know. And again, we have this great scene you know, where he's, he's trying to get through to the general to get the information that he wants. Um, and it's a struggle. Because this poor man is losing his is losing his mind, uh, and it's um, I actually find I actually feel that this is a bit of an uh, I mean from that point on, we see nothing of that character anymore. No, but I actually feel that moment's actually quite quite emotional and really quite tragic, because he's this man you know, because th- it's established right he got on well with the brigadier. So imagine if he's someone of of that capability. And now, because of his interaction with IE and his meeting of Tobias Vaughan, now he's just completely losing his mind and who he is as a person. I know we don't. Um, apart from that, we don't get to see much of the the mind control or the influence that people are under. And um, with regards to Tobias Vaughan blinking at a different rate, does that mean he was um, under under some kind of influence? No, I don't think it's he's uh, under some influence. Was that implied though initially? Do you think in the script? Possibly, but I think it's I think it's quickly established um, that he's very much his own his own man because you know he has been cy- partially cybernized because again there's this fantastic scene where um, he's. Uh, he's golding uh, Professor Watkins, and you know he he's like really brought Watkins down to fall, you know. And so Watkins has no other uh, option but to work for Tobias, you know, against every fibre of his being, you know. And he says, you know, um, you know, if I ever get the opportunity, I will kill you. And then Tobias, because he does have this sadistic streak, which you know pops up throughout the story this is I think this is at its peak it's a brilliant scene so he gets Packer to hand him the gun 
gives it to Watkins and goes, well, come on, man, shoot me. And then, you know, Watkins doesn't know what to do. And then Tobias just slaps him right across the face and goes, come on, man. And then, you know, you know, he's shaken and then he shoots him. Yeah. Thankfully, he wasn't in the head. Um, he shoots him in the chest. And all what's left are these three smoking bullet holes. Yes. And, of course, Tobias isn't dead. And, you know, again, he's, you know, through that, he goes, there's nothing you can do to me, Professor. You can shoot me. And look, I'm still alive. Um, he's lucky he didn't shoot you know, through the letterbox. He'd be, he'd be out of action for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, he, he, you know, he bring, you know, he'd already br- brought Watkins down. He brings him down even further in that scene. Um, so th- that's another... You know, fantastic character moment. Yeah, but of course it explains that thing that you know Tobias had been partially cybernized. But there are moments when he's arguing with cyber control, um, of going, "Look, um, I'm," because uh, the, the cybermen are saying, "You know, uh, we will, you know, fully convert you." And Tobias is going, "You know, no, that wasn't the deal." Um, you know, so he sees the the strength of the cybermen in terms of the body, but not the mind. Yes, he's very overconfident though. Himself. Yeah, yeah. The cyber control unit that's behind mm-hmm. the wall uh, is that both yeah. locations? Do you think? Or just the one? That's a good point. I think it's just the one. I think it's just the London office. Yeah. That should have been um, a post-credit scene. You know, they've destroyed one, but there's another one there. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. the, other, the other location. In fact, it's it's sort of interesting because uh, initially I thought that was just a uh, a powerful communication device, but it's sort of hinted that 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 itself is is sort of like a. Maybe that itself is a, a, a Cyberman of sorts. Yeah, definitely. Which uh, which was interesting because, I mean, this is towards the, you know, we're coming to the end of the story, and the, you know, the, the Cyberman basically said, right, we we have we want nothing to do with you, Tobias, and Tobias's plans are all just brought down, uh, and he goes, and at this point, it's like, right, uh, the because it, it, it's kind of interesting as well. I think in any other story, or perhaps any other se- series, you know, we have the thing where, you know, we have one villain who has partnered himself with another villain for that other villain, who in this case the Cybermen, to go right. I don't need, I don't need you anymore. And and then the Cybermen have said, look, we're going to basically blow everything up. And the Doctor tries to appeal to uh, Tobias's um, sort of better nature, if you like. Now, in any other series. I think maybe it would be going. You know, you're right. You were right all along, and I should have seen the light. Uh, you know that 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 sort of approach. But here, I think it's actually really good writing. He just goes, uh, "No, I, you know, I'm not going to do it for that. It's because I because I hate them." Um, which again is you know adds adds more to Tobias's character and also makes him consistent as well. Yeah. Um, you do. But you anyway, do think for a moment when the doctor's like, "Oh, we're on the same side now." You gave yeah. It, okay. They are on the same side now, but but no, it's not quite like that. Yeah, yeah. So, no, it's not quite like it's like an, an uneasy alliance. But anyway, it's it's through that um, he ends up destroying what we thought was this communication device. But it's actually sort of suggested in the dialogue that actually that itself was a cyberman. Yeah, and he goes, oh, okay, that that's so, you know, so, so that that's interesting. And going, you know, it was that a, a, I don't know, a cyber planner or you know, is it a type of cyberman which is his sort of like evolved into something else yeah it's strange that it's even there like um, he, he was obviously able to communicate with them anyway because he, mm-hmm. he, he made the communication array and he's the one that reached out and got in touch with them is that right yes um, yeah yeah 
so why, if he can communicate with them anyway, why do the Cybermen have a presence here? And if they do have a presence, is this a Cyberman that simply relays, or is this some kind of important character? Yeah, and uh, and actually, I kind of like how the fact that it's not stated crystal clear. I kind of like that there's this element of, of cyber development, which is sort of hinted at, and that's all we get. I kind of like how it's sort of like left to our own imaginations or to come up with our own conclusions. So that's something. It looks great on animation as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it was great. In fact, I don't know whether you noticed, you know when uh, they, the, when it's revealed at the end of episode one and you zoom into it, sort of like the centre of it. Yeah. D- did, you, did you see the, the, the image of the, the, the cyber head? No, no, I didn't see that. On the, on the animation specifically? Yeah, on the animation specifically, because when when the episode is, you know, because you have the same cliffhanger, but now a live act, you know, um, the, the, with the reprise for episode two, which we can watch, it's not there. It's just a nice little touch that they've done on the animation. I think it's quite nice. They zoom into it white, uh, sort of the, the center of the machine, and then the 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 template of the cyberhead, sort of like how we see in the Tomb of the Cybermen, it's, it's there briefly. Right. Okay. I thought I thought it was a nice touch. Yeah. So anyway, to, to go. To, to go back to it before, I thought that was quite... Uh, going back to when sort of like Zoe is... Uh, has saved the day through her mathematical skill of making sure that 90% of, of the cyber ships are destroyed was, was, you know, was, was a great moment for her. Yeah. So not only is the Doctor saving the day and we've got Unit, you know, we've, you know, we've got Zoe in there as well, which is fantastic. In a lot of the action, um, we actually had some model, shot, model shots of the fleet, of the ships, and we also had some stock footage of the missiles. Because actually, I mean, if they didn't have the... Um, in fact, there was one moment in the story where I didn't think they were actually going to show us uh, one of the models. I think it was very much towards the end when the it's the final rocket, and they're talking about you know it's the final cyber ship, and we're blown. I honestly thought that they weren't going to show it, uh, and I wouldn't have begrudged the story if it hadn't, because uh, we've seen everything else. But actually, they did, and I went, oh, I'm pleased, I'm pleased you made that effort. That's good. Uh, and again, the, you know, the, the model shots I thought were, you know, were quite good. Yeah. Um. You know, we have these cyber ships, and they're like. A long cylinder with kind of discs, almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is that the same kind of aesthetic that was seen in the Pandorica Opens and A Good Man Goes to War? You know what? I think you're right. I think it is. I hadn't I hadn't made that connection, yeah. but I think you're right. Yeah. Kind of above Stonehenge and then again behind Rory when he's on the 12th Cyber Legion ship or whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. I hadn't I hadn't made that connection. So that's that's quite a nice um, a nice reference. Um, and their uh, international electromatics came back in the modern era on the parallel world in Rise of the Cybermen: Age of Steel. It was on the the side of a van that was rounding up all the people to take um, for conversion. Well, funny enough, what I was I was going to say is. I mean, I, I, I've seen uh, Rise of the Cybermen, Age of Steel, of course, and I've seen the invasion a, a few times, but I don't know what it is. This was the first time, maybe because it was being a bit slow, but I thought, actually, looking at the invasion now, I think it's quite clear that its approach uh, with how it uses the Cybermen and the, uh, the company IE 
I think it was clearly that was one thing that influenced there were other influences going on uh, of course as well like the big Finnish audio adventure spare parts but um this clearly was an inspiration and inspired Rise of the Cybermen Age of Steel with Rise of the Cybermen Age of Steel I, I couldn't think why why are they why why even have Cybus why not make it i.e. <laughs> um and it also had me thinking, does this mean Invasion was on the parallel world? But I think um, that wasn't the intention. It's just, incidentally, as a little Easter egg, um, Cybus uses IE as a dummy company on Pete's mm-hmm. world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like a nice little touch. But then, say for ex- but then it was, you know how um, you've got communication devices and the transistor radio in this story? Yeah. And then with the rise of the Simon Ninja Steel, you feel like, well, it's comment on and its use of modern technology with the bla- uh, with the Bluetooth headsets. Yeah. I th- no, I, you know, I saw, a di- I saw a direct connection there because had they had Bluetooth headsets in 1968, you'd know that's what, they, you know, that's what they would have used here. And it's crazy. Um, in 2020, everyone's walking around with earpods, aren't they? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it did look odd in um, Rise of the Cybermen. <laughs> like, you, yeah, you couldn't imagine everyone walking around with two earpieces in. But everyone wears them. Not just the Apple ones, but people wear, like, big bulky ones as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. Because it was a bit funny, because Bluetooth headsets sort of came out, and they weren't, like, a massive thing, you know, but, you know, they were a recognising, recognisable form of wearable technology. So, yeah, when that story came... Out, it did look a bit ridiculous. Why would people be wearing two of them? You know, it did look a bit nuts. Um, and then Bluetooth headsets, although people still use them, they haven't really become a thing. But yeah, you're right with uh, with sort of like earpods. Um, the the connection can still be can still be made. Yeah. So the the, the cyber ships are are you know blown up and um, that's it. The world is saved. So great, on to listeners' responses. Doctor Who the Target World has kind of got in contact and has said on the invasion, I think it's one of the best stories. It has great pace and lots going on and some seriously good performances from all the main actors. Uh, wish it is on Blu-ray, hopefully soon. Um, yeah, completely agree. Yes, great with, agree with that. I think it has got great pace. Fantastic performances. Great pace, it has great momentum. Just kind of the, the story just keeps on going. It doesn't feel boring or repetitive. I don't think. Apart from the, the yeah, some, some of the, the sets are a bit repetitive. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Yeah. But uh, could but, it, yeah, could no, it benefit totally from a Blu-ray? Do you think? I th- in mm. in the, yes, because I think all the stories can benefit from from a Blu-ray Blu-ray release. I mean, further restoration can't you know it, it, yeah, all good with that um i'd imagine also black and white be- sorry talking over you there go on no no it was just uh, it was just to say because um dvds uh, still still have you know some compression um which you know limits the image a bit um i i gr- also agree with that yeah i would love it to come out on blu-ray soon um but, yeah. ds sigma's doctor who podcast said this week Love this one. It's very highly rated, but I could, it could be rated even higher. Hmm. Troughton is at his very best here. An outside team TARDIS, all the other leads are outstanding. Tobias Vaughan is one of the best villains of the era too. 
and I would love to see him recast for a return. Ooh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I totally agree with with all of that. Yeah, because you got the the Tardis team, which are fantastic, and everyone else. Uh, yeah, there isn't one Duff character or one Duff performance. It's fantastic, and I agree with that. I think Tobias Vaughn is one of the best villains uh, of you know, not just the Trap era, but I think of whole, whole of Doctor Who, and um, whether recasting it though, who could do him justice? I mean, I'm not the thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not against it. I mean, because it, it could it could prove quite interesting. Um, but Kevin Stoney just uh, I can't imagine anyone else playing it. He just he just hits it pitch perfect. But um, but yeah, interesting. The universe of Who says one of my favourite Cybermen stories. A wonderful story spread over eight parts, which takes its time. Maybe it's a bit too slow for some people, but Tavares Phone is marvellous. And there are so many brilliant moments. Plus, the Cybermen are brilliant. Uh, it's interesting, sort of th- that take on it, going that you know, it uh, the story takes its time, and it could be a bit slow for some people. It in- indeed it could be, but um, I don't think the story necessarily sort of like, takes its time. But then that isn't to say that it rushes through. I think it's it's pitched perfectly, and I think, um, I th- yeah, I think that um you've got some nice quiet moments when the story needs it but it, but it's also very uh quick and um yeah i wonder if it would feel any different if we had watched these episodes a day apart if it would have felt a bit over overstretched or like it was taking us time to get going um but it does benefit from being watched um as a binge watch binge watch not a binge watch <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it does i mean i don't how did, how did you watch it because for the purpose of the podcast, I was watch. I mean, I could, as you say, I could easily sit down and watch it all in one sitting. But I was watching it two episodes a day. Um, yeah, I was pretty much doing that. I was doing it on and off. So I was watching it on BritBox, out in the garden. You know, so everyone's out sunbathing, doing whatever, and um, I was just sat watching Doctor Who out in the sun. <laughs> all right, okay. Plus, the Cybermen are brilliant. Universal Who said yes, um, aesthetically one of the best designs and yes they don't sound as garbled and crazy as they did in Tomb so uh, I think they've improved them a lot Al Reviews Who on Twitter said one of my favourite Troughton stories and Cyberman stories 8 episodes long but it never drags Kevin Stoney and Peter Halsey are just brilliant as Vaughn and Packer so good that I don't mind the Cybermen don't show up until halfway through utterly fantastic story Yep, uh, fantastic. Uh, thanks, our reviews who for well, uh, as long as with everyone else uh, dropping that. And I think yeah, totally, once again, totally agree. Eight episodes long, but it never drags, um, which is fantastic. Agree with you on Stony and Halliday. Uh, well, obviously, it's my favorite Trapped story. Uh, is it my favorite Cyberman story? Um, it's. I think it actually might be. Mm. Yeah, I think it is. Possibly. I need to think that about that more. But yeah, I certainly rate it very highly. I think it's great. I'm really surprised how much I've enjoyed this story. I don't think I've watched it much since the DVD came out. There's not many flaws to it. You know how we were watching Tomb of the Cyberman last week. And mm-hmm. you, you do notice all the flaws there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because the, the, there are still great things about Tomb. I mean, you know, the, the story itself is still quite good. And, you know, you got... I think a lot of people have commented on, you know, the set designs and costume designs and so on and you know they are really rather good there is a lot to admire about too but yeah there are 
I mean, for me, it's there are one or two nitpicks. Um, and in fact, because talking of which, because as we said before, we we did a, uh, a poll on Twitter comparing the two stories, which one is best. Uh, the results are in, and because um, some people commented in relation to that, so we had um, lit, uh, we have Lozer who said everyone loves Tomb, but the invasion is just better by every metric, apart from brevity, admittedly. Yeah, I mean, I agree that the evasion is just better, but, you know, um, I think, Rob, you disagree, don't you? I did agree last week. Uh, we'll see how I feel in a moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I had one more comment on the poll, didn't we? Yeah, Leighton Matheson on Twitter said, Invasion by far. I think Tomb is really overrated, if I'm honest. The Invasion has everything. Unit, Cybermen, a compelling villain in Tobias Vaughn. It's one of the few stories in which I can tolerate Zoe, um, and you don't care that the Cybermen show up halfway through it. Fantastic. So, um, so yeah, you would think from those two comments that most people, well, because it's just two comments, because uh, actually we had a good, uh, we had a good result, but unfortunately the invasion didn't win. No. Uh, in terms of which is the best, fifty-three uh, percent said Tomb of the Cybermen, tossers, and forty-seven percent of some brilliant, brilliant people said the invasion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a good 47% for Invasion. Uh, it was out of 60 votes, so I think that's mm. a, that makes it a, a fair vote, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it does, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a good turnout. <laughs> not, last, not like last week's random question, um, which was which one do people find scary? Uh, Tomb of the Cybermen, Silence of the Lambs. Um, the reason why we asked that makes sense if you listen to the podcast. Um, but uh, we only had two people respond and we got a 50% response 50-50 so, yeah it was a 50-50 undecided one person yeah uh, but no that was a, a good turnout and thanks for everyone for, for getting in contact so um, uh, please don't hesitate to get in contact in the future because we love hearing from you just a reminder of our social media information our website is cloisterbellpodcast.com. We're on Instagram at cloister underscore bell, Twitter at podcast bell, and of course we are on Facebook. Um, so as a conclusion and score, I think it's safe to say that this is a story that we both really enjoy. There's a lot to admire. Uh, so Rob, in terms of a score, what would you give it? I'd give it a 9 out of 10. Wow, fantastic. Okay. Um... I give it slightly less um, than that. I've given it eight out of ten. Um, so actually, you like it more than me, uh, even though I picked it. The only reason being is because again, I think it is a fantastic story, and for eight episodes long, it doesn't drag. There's a lot with Maya, as we've discussed. It's just a very slight nitpick, which is that I think that because Douglas Canfield was a very, very good director for, for Doctor Who, he was able to do the atmosphere and the action really rather well but I think it's in episode 5 some of the fight sequences don't quite work um, and I remember just thinking oh, it doesn't is this so in the, it is in a bit the of... sewer? no That's well actually it's, it's, when they're co- it's actually when they're coming out of the sewer and, um, and they're hitting the Cybermen on the arm yeah um, it's not necessarily that it, it's, it's the way that the uh, the Cyberman is coming out the sumo and sort of grabs Jamie and is grabbing the other uh, the other unit soldier. I don't think it's as impactful as it could have been in terms of 
how it's how it comes across and it's the it's the one time in the story i felt um i was just oh, that could have i could have maybe done with reshooting a little bit yeah. i mean it's not awful uh but it's just the it's the, sort of like the once the one moment in the story where i go oh it's a bit of a shame um <laughs> It could have been more impactful um, if it had dragged a unit soldier in or something at the last moment. Yeah, or, or something. I don't know. It just it's, it's the only sort of action sequence in the story which I didn't feel uh, worked. There is well. another scene that I feel doesn't work. When a, okay. sa- a Wait, Cyberman falls off the building. Oh, crikey, yes. I forgot about that. So... Yeah, that's in the final episode. Yeah. So you know we've we've got this 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 final fight of uh, unit soldiers, Cybermen. You got the Doctor and Tobias Vaughn running around using the uh, emotional machine. All of it's fantastic. It's really really good. And then uh, Tobias and the Doctor are on the roof. The Cybermen. Some Cybermen have come and they're fighting, and they're able to destroy one Cyberman who then topples over, and um, it's clearly a it's clearly a dummy. Yeah. Um, and it, it, yes, I, I completely forgot about that. But yeah, you're right because and it stands out even more because everything else surrounding that moment is just perfect. Uh, the direction, the editing, uh, the actual action itself, the actors, and then just that one moment. It is a bit, yeah, it is a bit piping esque. Yeah. It's a bit unfortunate. Yeah, it would have been just, more effective yeah. had they just seen someone's reaction to to him falling, and then saw him lying on the floor. Yeah. yeah, or something. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. It is a bit of a shame. It's so, a bit, it's a bit like in last week's review when we had Toberman walk off screen with the cyber controller, then come back in a shot with a mannequin, <laughs> and then throw, <laughs> throw it across the room. Yeah, it is. It is sort of on that. Yeah, it is a bit on that level. So, um, but I mean, I can still forgive the the, the story, the rest of the story, because the rest of it's just brilliant. Yeah. But that's the reason why I give it eight out of ten. There's just one yeah. or two moments which just. Oh, it's just taking me out. They probably had the best intentions. They probably thought that that scene off the roof, that's the money shot right there. But it just didn't work out. <laughs> no, I mean it should it should be fantastic. Uh, all what all what they needed was a dummy with a bit more weight to it. And yes. It would have worked. But it's just this flimsy, flappy thing. Uh, yeah, it, it is it is a bit of a shame. But you know, um, I mean, but I still love the invasion. I still think eight out of ten is a respectable score. Yes. Um, how much did I rate Aztecs last week? Was it Aztecs? Was, sorry, not Aztecs Tomb. Was it eight? I think. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, well, I, gave, I gave it six. I yeah, remember that. Right. So yes, I think I rated Tomb an eight, and I rated this a nine. But oddly enough, mm. I would. I do find Tomb a bit more rewatchable. Not because it's shorter. Is it? But I just enjoy it a bit more. All oh, right. Okay. Um, but I do enjoy this. It, but. This is all. This this does feel very, uh, very cinematic. It's a bit like a a movie from the fifties. Mm-hmm. Ah, right. Yeah, it does have a very uh, cinematic feel to it. Yeah. In fact, they could probably uh, maybe for the Blu-ray they could just kind of paste it all together <laughs> for a feature-length version. <laughs> That'd be actually really yeah. Do a do a a movie-length version of yeah. uh, of the invasion. Mm-hmm. I think that would work actually. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anything in this in this story even needs remastered or replaced rather um, even the model shot to the cyber ships nothing's yeah, been dated um, no I think maybe just uh, if they could maybe CGI a better uh, segment falling off the roof because um, actually um, the season 14 blu-ray box set 
um, has CGI options with the talents of Wen Chiang. And one of the things that they have done is, because uh, again, that's a fantastic story, but again, which is is let down by um, a poor special effect, which is uh, the giant rat. Um, the, the build of it's absolutely fine. It's just, it's just, it looks a bit too fluffy. And you know, Philip Hinchcliffe and others have said, oh, what they need to do is spend a bit more time like greasing the fur up or whatever, and it would look better. But it just looks like this big fluffy thing, and it doesn't quite work, which is a shame. Uh, but it's still a great story. But actually, what one of the CGI uh, effects is um, is the giant rat. And oh my God, they've done a really fantastic job. In fact, the CGI options on the Blu-ray box sets I really do like because they don't overdo it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, what they do sort of it just one nice just one or two things just to sell the story a bit more. But they they all tied in with the, with the aesthetic of the story itself. That's cool. Um, and yeah, and it's really good. And the giant rat, uh, the CGI version, I think is fantastic. It was really mm. bloody creepy. Really, because the whole idea uh, yeah. of a straight-to-video CGI rat um, doesn't sound great. But um, no, no, it didn't. Because really I didn't know what to expect when I was watching it. I was just going, oh, okay, this is going to be interesting. And then when I was watching it, I thought, my God, this is—it's brilliant. That's cool. First moment you see it, it's 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 really creepy. Um, it's great. They've done a, uh, a brilliant job. So I love that. It, it just makes me think. I just, I just hope that at some point in the future, more people have the opportunity to get the Blu-ray box sets. Uh, or if that, um, these these remastered versions get a commercial release, like on digital, digital release. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so people can actually uh, enjoy uh, enjoy them and, and see the hard work that's gone in. Because I do think uh, it would be quite nice to for more people to to enjoy them and get the opportunity. Because mm-hmm. there is a very limited scope of time. Because I know that um, actually a lot of people experienced some issues with the season fourteen box set. People, you know, people became aware of it, which should have still been during the pre-order period, and they still couldn't pre-order it. And in fact, um, some people who had pre-ordered it had their pre-orders cancelled, and then just crazy, an absolute nightmare by the sounds of it. And it's 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 you know a bit of a shame, but. Um, so uh, that's the invasion. A cracking good story. I'm, I'm pleased uh, you enjoyed it, Rob. It turns out slightly more than I did, um, but there you are. I still think it's a cracking good story. So in our next podcast, we will be moving on to the John Pertwee era. Do you want to tell them, Rob, uh, what what that story is going to be, or um, should we let them wait a bit more? You know what? By the time this podcast goes out, um, we live already announced it on social media, so we might as well tell them. Because they already oh, know. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, next week, it's my turn to pick um, a Doctor Who story. And my favourite John Pertwee story, not necessarily which I think is the best, but my favourite is Frontier in Space. It's actually on par with Liam's favourite. Oh, okay. That's These are my right. two, okay, so two favourites. Oh, fantastic. So we're going to have a really good, uh, interesting conversation about this one. So uh, hopefully... Um, We'll uh, we'll hear your uh, responses, uh, dear listeners, with regards to Frontier and Space. Uh, I'm looking forward to discussing it. Yeah. So until next time, bye everyone. <laughs>